Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 24th of September 2020 Hong Kong Stories Podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Have you ever had the feeling that you're missing something? You can't quite put your finger on it, but you're out of step? While we stroll down the streets of Hong Kong this week, we'll be listening to Jay as she tells her story about being a bit off the beat. Before we get to today's story, though, a huge thank you goes out to our loyal hometown listeners. We love you, Hong Kong. Stay safe and stay well. Hellos go out to our listeners around the world today, too. This week, to listeners in North America especially, listeners in Los Angeles, California, and Boardman, Oregon in the United States, and Richmond and Dartmouth in Canada. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. In October this year, we'll be hosting the second annual Student Story Slam, where Hong Kong students are invited to tell their stories on our stage. We're inviting students to learn to tell their true first-person stories with the help and guidance of seasoned storytellers on the theme of seconds. If you have an idea or you'd like to get yourself or your students involved, get in contact through our website, hongkongstories.com. Stories must be submitted before the end of September by following the the links on the website. Again, it's hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now with the story from our June 2020 show, which was meant to be our February 2020 show, and which had the theme Fifty Shades of Red. Here is Jay. My mother likes to tell people that I looked like a piece of tasu when I was born. <laughs> like the Chinese barbecued pork, I was bright red, charred black, and rather inert. When the doctors pulled me out, I was silent. There was no ecstatic crying or rage at being thrust into the world. I guess I didn't find it as exciting or abysmal as the other babies did. Or maybe I just didn't notice the change in scenery. Seven years later, I had grown from a Tasu baby into a relatively normal-looking child. But on the inside, I still felt different. Playing with my cousins and classmates, I had learned that children were violent and volatile creatures that pulled your hair and threw their toys and screamed in your ear if they didn't get what they wanted. But I never felt compelled to do any of these things, and it seemed like I was missing out on this small human experience. So I decided to throw a tantrum. Problem was, I didn't know how that worked, and I was kind of afraid of getting in trouble. So I waited until my mother was at work, and I snuck into her closet, and then I tried to remember what I had seen all the other children do. Step one, throw things. I started to pull out my mother's clothes and drag her bags and throw them on the floor one at a time, one at a time. But it wasn't working. I didn't feel any different. 
So I moved on to step two, be obnoxious. Took a deep breath, looked around to make sure there were no grown-ups nearby, prepared to scream my lungs out, but no sound came out. I guess I just didn't know how to do it. I mean, to be fair, I hadn't had any practice. The whole experiment was very unsatisfying. Fast forward another seven years, and I'm in my teens. I'd gathered from the movies and TV shows that I watched that this would be the most dramatic year of my life. I was bracing myself for the emotional roller coaster, complex love triangles with my classmates, and rebellion against authority figures. But nothing went according to plan. I was the perfect Chinese daughter. When the boys came calling, I gladly received their gifts, favors, and compliments, and returned little affection and acknowledgement. I was perplexed by my girlfriends and how they could talk incessantly about this or that hot guy in PE class or which base they had hit with their latest boyfriend or how that English teacher was so sexy when he read poetry. And I could never, for the life of me, figure out why in every chick flick that we had to watch, the boy and the girl would start off in pretty interesting conversation, but ultimately end up in some form or another of passionate snogging. I was a straight-A science student, but I could never figure out what this chemistry was all about. Another seven years go by, and things aren't getting any better. I figure that I have a problem, and I'm actively trying to solve it. I go to drama classes, dance classes, dance clubs, gay clubs, lesbian clubs. I go on intimate trips to Japanese hot springs and attend group therapy sessions at Californian hippie camps. But I'm still as detached as ever. I find myself in plenty of beds and tents and tatamis with half-naked men and women. It's not that I lacked opportunity, but I just never felt compelled to do anything. One time, this woman decided that she wanted to share a bed with me and declared that she only slept naked. So, of course, I wouldn't deny her of her rights. I just <laughs> kept a respectful distance and slept through the night. It was only years later when I was recounting this story that it occurred to me that maybe she was looking for something else. <laughs> this other time, I met this guy at a bar, and after we had a couple of drinks, he invited me over for wine and a movie. And there was no Netflix at the time. And I thought things were going really well until he turned around and accused me of giving him blue balls. While I tried to explain that, I thought we were just being good Asian kids and going home to drink to save money. <laughs> so I stumble along like this for another seven years until one day I was invited to join a punk rock band. I started to feel the first tingles of emotion when I tried to give voice to these impassioned lyrics of the songs. 
over the course of several months, these foreign feelings seem to penetrate my vocal cords, at least temporarily. And when I finally stepped on stage and the amps went on and the instruments started to sing their song and I opened my mouth to join them, somehow out came the ecstatic rage of the Foo Fighters, the teenage infatuation of the White Stripes, and the frantic desire of the Ramones. It was an incredible embody experience, as if the characters of these songs had taken me over and the audience were hearing voices that weren't really mine. It was as if for the length of a song, I was living life as somebody else. With a flick of a mic switch came a cascade of vicarious emotion, and I started to see myself in the world a little differently. I had spent my life chasing feelings, trying to understand what it meant to be overwhelmed by emotion. While around me, people were spending small fortunes learning to control theirs or paying for the consequences. Perhaps what I have then is not a flaw. Perhaps what I've been given is an extra on-off switch, the ability to opt into passion when I want an experience, an escape, or a reminder of what it's like to feel like everyone else. Come to think of it, that's probably why I'm here today, and possibly where you'll find me again in the next seven years, on a search for the switches of emotion, for the words, the mics, and the audiences that turn me on. We're glad that Jay found us, that we've been a conduit for her um, self-exploration. Storytelling means a lot of things to a lot of people. But if you'd like to tell us what it means to you, send us a message through the website hongkongstories.com. Now, this is usually the part where I tell you about upcoming shows and such like, but everything is up in the air. So I suggest you sit up and listen to our second story for today. From way back in 2018, here is Janita. I never thought that I would be in need of something borrowed or something blue. In fact, you'd be lucky if you found anything like that around our house because every one of my immediate family had been married at least twice. Both my brothers had been married twice, my dad twice, and my mum, well, she went for the hat trick three times. But me? Nothing. Zero. I was in a long-term relationship, and we had two children. But the topic of marriage had been safely put on the top shelf out of reach because it was really difficult to know which wives and which husbands out of my family to actually invite to a wedding. And to top it all, my mother's new husband's ex-wife was now married to my dad. <laughs> Take some thinking about. But it didn't ever
ever stop me wanting to be asked? The other thing that seemed very unfair was the fact that I had been to nearly all of their weddings. I had been dressed in a multitude of bridesmaids' dresses, of various colours, of the palette of the insane. (laughs) Dark olive green is not the colour for a white English skin. And neither is satin the, the correct fabric for a winter wedding. A simple fact that seemed to be overlooked by the more inconsiderate of brides. My hair had been crimped and curled and plaited and strewn with all sorts of exotic flowers, all for that perfect day, all for that perfect moment that could be put in a silver frame and placed in pride of place on the mantelpiece of someone else. Now, what was that phrase again? Three times bridesmaid, never a bride. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) And what made it seem even more impossible was the fact that my partner of eight years decided to dump me and leave me to bring up our two small children on my own. The need for my silver picture frame faded further and further into the distance. But after a year, a lonely year, the tide began to change because I was introduced to John at a charity barn dance. Yes, it was all Hollywood in the English countryside. Now, John, by profession, was a master thatcher, which meant that he... It's not what you're thinking. which meant that he created and designed thatched cottage roofs on the kinds of cottages that you see on British biscuit tins. It also meant that he was very strong and, if truth be told, very ripped. (laughs) He could twirl me about that barn dance floor all night without one bead of sweat. And he was completely different to the kind of media types that I'd been surrounded by when I lived in London. He was really quite refreshing. And over the next few months, the barn dance escalated into country walks and day trips out and dinners in. And he really loved being with my kids. He was divorced and he had grown-up kids who'd left home. And I think he just really loved being a dad again. He loved nothing more than going on the weekly family shop to the supermarket, taking the kids to the country park and pottering around the garden, fixing things up. To all appearances, we looked like the perfect happy family. But I began to realize that actually things weren't quite the same when we were alone. You see, we didn't really have that much in common. And our jokes began to misfire and our conversation halted. What was worse is that I realized that I was being defined just as mum and not Janita. And I know you're probably thinking, well, isn't it marvelous? You found a man that's willing to take on someone else's children. But I wanted someone who wanted me. I mean, after all, my children one day would grow up and leave. And where would that leave us? 
So we finished the relationship and we didn't see each other again. And I put my imaginary silver frame back in its box. And I continued to carry on packing boxes for the next four months because I decided to sell my house. I'd accepted the fact that I was looking at many years of being on my own, bringing up my kids, and I had moved on emotionally. And now I wanted to move on physically too. And then out of the blue, I get a call from John. He wants to catch up. So we meet at a boutique country pub and order probably something with truffle oil and quinoa. (laughs) It'd been four months since he'd last seen me or made any contact with me. But he looked good in a crisp new shirt and a trimmed stubble, and he was smiling a lot. So he caught up like old friends do, and then after the plates had been taken away, he reached across the table and took my hands in his, and he leaned in and looked into my eyes and said, Will you marry me? Yes! Yes! Yes, I say! To myself. (laughs) At last, someone has finally asked me to marry them. (laughs) Of course... That's what, not, not what I tell him. Because I realised I didn't need to be married. I just needed to know that it was possible to be asked. <laughs> I didn't even have a mantelpiece on which to put a silver picture frame. But you don't need to feel sorry for John. Because within the month, he had met another single mum with two small children. And two months after that, he married her. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.